Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcasts. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. I hope that if you're, if you're new with us that you would consider staying for lunch. We're ordering pizza right now, and uh, I, I, hopefully we can strike a, a happy medium with uh, everybody's pizza taste. That was the song, Love Thy Neighbor. It was recorded by Dean Martin on his album, Once in a While, that was released in 1978. I, I, I like 70s music, and, and I, I have, a, have a thing for Dean Martin. My mom, she didn't really like him. She thought he was a womanizer. Um, but, uh, and he, it, it, yeah, he, he, he kind of was. Um, and the album was made up of songs that were previously associated with Bing Crosby. And Bing Crosby was Dean Martin's favorite musical influence. Now... The major difference, if you does, has anybody ever heard the original by Bing Crosby? I, I, I'd never heard that one. I'd actually heard this song. I didn't realize it. But, um, but the Bing Crosby version references a, a neighbor who's, who's a guy. But then it, when he talks about meeting the girl next door, you know, mama told me to love my neighbor. Well, Dean Martin just makes the, the song entirely about a, a female neighbor. So it, it kind of makes sense if, if you're familiar with Dean, Dean Martin's history. Anyway, I'm concluding our series today that I've called Exiles on Main Street. And the text that I've been using as my premise for these past several weeks has come from Psalm chapter 11. And it says, the foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? Now, I think everybody here has felt it at some point. The world has changed. And we're struggling to understand how we fit into it. And what's worse, our culture keeps changing. And it's, it's often spiraling out of control. And people of faith, primarily Christians, are considered the cause. And sometimes we've been labeled the enemies of our changing world. And as a result, we often feel powerless and we don't know what to do about it. Well, in the midst of all this change, there are people who are just like you and me. And they're caught in the middle. They're ordinary people and they may not line up on one side or other of this, of this debate in our culture of what's right and wrong. They're just trying to scratch out a living a better life for themselves and their families. And we might even know some of these people. Then again, we might not. And I want to talk to you about those people today. 
And the title this morning is Exiles on Main Street, Strangers and Neighbors. How many of you know your neighbors? I don't know if you remember when we first moved here, we, I read this book called The Art of Neighboring, and it had an exercise in it that drew up a map of the people who are directly around your, your residence and to try to identify those people who are just on your block. Well, those of you who visited us, we live on Main Street, and so uh, we don't really have anyone in front of us there across the street. And then we've got the block all the way around, and we've got Manuel's on the corner. And, you know, it, it's kind of an, an interest, interesting situation. <clears throat> so, so we had our Christmas party, and we just invited everybody on Main Street to come. And about half of the people we invited came that, that, that year. It was uh, actually three years ago. We're going to try to do that again this year and, and see what happens. But we were new to the neighborhood and this was a way for us to get to know our neighbors. Now, the Pew Research Center did a study a few years ago, and they released the results last year. 41% of residents in rural areas, kind of like Brenham, and I, I think most of us would qualify as like being in a rural area. 41% of residents in rural areas said that they knew all or most of their neighbors compared to 28% in suburban and 24% in urban areas. And the results and what they were saying in the summary was, it seems the closer we live together, we realize we really don't want to get to know the people who live closest to us. You remember the Tom Hanks movie, The, the Burbs? I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a Tom Hanks fan. And uh, there, there's, it was called The Burbs, The Suburbs, and this neighborhood, they had this suspicion about one of their neighbors. And so they went to all these great lengths and they agitated them. And, of course, at the end, they'd come to find out there were, their suspicions were, were kind of true. But when we don't know our neighbors, that leaves us open to suspicion. That leaves us open to... Um, not really having much of a relationship. I mean, you know, if, if all you do is just wave to each other, you know, maybe in the morning or in the afternoon when you get home, that's not much of a relationship. And so our neighbors are often strangers to us. And the words strangers and neighbors, they obviously have different meanings. But in a society where people don't know their neighbors, neighbors might as well be strangers because we don't know the people who are in closest proximity to us. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's an account of Jesus being confronted by two of the major religious groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The only time these groups ever agreed on anything was when they were attacking Jesus. And they were always trying to trap him in something that he said. He might say one thing, he might say something else, and then they would come back later, well, didn't you say? And so this was one of these occasions. And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus had already confronted one of these groups and basically shut them down. And so the other group saw their opportunity. And so in verse 34, Matthew writes, 
when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the, he meaning Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It's pretty heavy. Well, I find it almost comical in these conversations that Jesus has with these religious leaders this, this man who asked Jesus this question, he was considered an expert of the law, a lawyer in our common terms. And so he asked this question, which commandment is the most important? Well, is, is there a contest? And I, I, it would have been funny if Jesus had asked him, well, which one do you think is most important? Of course, that probably would have shut the conversation down. But at the time when this passage was written, there were hundreds, perhaps even thousands of recorded Jewish religious laws. And the religious leaders, just like this guy, used those laws to manipulate people. They passed a law and, and the, the common people, they weren't really well versed in terms of, of understanding the law. A lot of them couldn't even read and so whenever someone tells them this is the law, they just, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Well, consequently, and this is one of the things, you know, and my, my father-in-law is a lawyer. I don't think he falls into the category of, of the, the, the slimy kind of lawyers. But, but there are those lawyers who can use the law and manipulate it so that it benefits them, so that it benefits their party that they're representing. You know what I'm talking about. They can make it say what they want it to say and do what they want it to do and use some obscure provision in the law to get about the, the, the result that they're looking for, right? Well, these people, the, the common people, had been taken advantage of for thousands of years. Well, Jesus' response, and this is what I think, find really cool the response that Jesus gives, the way that he says it, it almost sounds like he's just reading it out of a book. But the fact is, he's pulling it from two different sources. Now, it's, it's, it is coming from, from the Bible. It's, it is coming from the law. But he's coming from two different books whenever he quotes them. The first one is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this was part of a prayer that was used by, by the religious, the, the devout Jews. It was a daily prayer called the Shema, which they would recite each day as part of their, as their daily exercise, their, their devotions, if you will. And so Deuteronomy 6, this is what it says. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And Jesus referred to this as the first and greatest of commandments. Wait a minute, what about the Ten Commandments? 
Well, this was part of, of, the, of the second law, the, the book of Deuteronomy, that came along later and clarified what was in the Ten Commandments. And as a bonus, and this is what I, what I find so cool about Jesus, he offered a second commandment. Well, you ask for one, I have two. And it is equally important. It's found in Leviticus chapter 19, where the Lord said, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's a command from the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I can imagine when, when the lawyer asked this question and he's getting this response from Jesus, he realized in that moment, and maybe you've been in this, this moment before too, when you've underestimated somebody, Jesus comes back with this and, he, and it was like, oh. He's completely surprised. Jesus' understanding of the law and scriptures where he could pull two books together and bring something that, that is, is really the essence of all the law and all the prophets. And is most important, if you want to know which one is most important, here it is. Consequently, when Jesus made the point, all the guy could do is just walk away. You know, in our, our vernacular today, that's, that's a mic drop. We're done here. Well, later on, in the Gospel of Luke, there was a similar conversation with another expert of the law. And this passage reads like he was listening to the conversation that Jesus had with this first lawyer. And you can find that in Luke chapter 10. I have it up here for you very conveniently. Verse 25. One day an expert of religious law stood up to test Jesus. Once again, he's trying to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Turned it around on the guy all of a sudden. He came prepared and he answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I can imagine he's just, you know, really proud of himself in that moment. And to that, Jesus responded, Right. Do that and you will live. Well, it continues on. The next verse says, the man wanted to justify his, his actions. And so he asked Jesus. And this is really one of those things. You, you have to be careful about how you ask questions. You know, if you're ever in one of those conversations where it gets kind of kind of heady and you, you don't want to put your foot in your mouth, this guy was walking right into it. And who is my neighbor? 
Well, if you're familiar with this passage, and I, I, didn't, I didn't list it up here. If you've got your Bible, you can look it up. But Jesus responded to this man by telling him a story that we know as the Good Samaritan. You remember? A man, he's, he's out, he's, he's riding his donkey, he's on his way to town, and he gets, he gets robbed. And it's what happens whenever a man gets, gets robbed. He gets beaten up, and they take away everything from him. They take his, his animal, they take his, take his clothes, they take, they take his money, they take everything, and leave him on the side of the road for dead. And as Jesus tells the story, there were three characters who came along that day. The first person who came along was a priest. A priest was the, in the highest point of respect in the community in those days. He was highly respected. And the priest comes along, sees the man lying on the road, and he says that the guy crossed the road and walked on past pretending like he didn't even see the man lying there. The second character who came along was a Levite. The Levites were part of the family that priests were chosen from. So he was highly respected. He was someone who people looked up to in the community because he was part of this religious family. And Jesus says that the man saw the guy lying on the side of the road, and just like the priest, crossed to the other side and continued on like he didn't even see him. Well, the third character who comes along was a Samaritan. And in those days, Samaritans, they were looked down upon because they're, they, were, they were made up of, of two different groups of people that were one group that they considered unclean, and then Jews who mingled with them were considered unclean because they mingled with these people that they shouldn't have mingled with. And so they looked down on them. And this person would not be the hero of the story. If anybody was telling a story, it would be the priest or it would be the Levite who would be the hero. But they walked on by. The Samaritan comes along and he sees the man and he takes him up and takes him into town to make sure that he can be cared for he bandages his wounds. He, he cleans him up and, and takes care of him. And then when he has to leave, he makes arrangements to care for the man until he can be well and, and be back on his own. Now in our day, if we were telling this story, the first person might be a pastor like myself who comes along and, well, you know, they, this guy's dirty. He's He's unclean. He's, he, he, you know, I, I'm not a medical person. And so the pastor walks on by. And then maybe the second person is, is a community leader, someone who's respected in the community, someone that we look up to as being, as being a great person in our community. And he sees the man and doesn't want to get involved, and so he walks on down the road. And the third person would be and, and there's been a lot of press about this, might be an illegal immigrant. It might be a, a Muslim immigrant or someone that, that we consider to be frightened of. We put them in those terms and all of a sudden the story means a little bit, little bit more than it did. You know, as a pastor, would I be willing to help a man? As 
Each of us, would we be willing to stop and help the man? Because we like to look at that and say, well, well we're, we're like the Samaritan. But when we think about what the Samaritan actually was, it wasn't somebody that we would look, look up to as being a person of virtue. So after Jesus told this story, he turns to the man and says, Now which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, now you go and do the same. Who is our neighbor? I asked earlier how many of us know our neighbors. And a few of us do. Most of us don't. In our case, we've lived in our, our house this coming April will be four years. And we got to, as I mentioned before, we got to know our neighbors a little whenever we first moved in. Well, we had a, we've had a lot of turnover on our street. A lot of people have moved. And we recently had a, a family, it was three sisters that moved into the house next door to us. As I was writing this this week, I realized I have yet to introduce myself to any of those ladies who've lived in my next door. I mean, we can actually look into each other's windows from our house. And I've, I've waved at them, seen them, you know. They've been mowing the yard, I've been mowing the yard, whatever. But we've, I've never taken the opportunity to get to know them. How can we love our neighbors if we don't even get to know who they are? And the truth is, loving our neighbors takes time and effort. And we also have to pay attention. We have another neighbor who lives across the street from us. And I noticed, well, when we, we he was actually the first neighbor that we met when we moved into the neighborhood. He introduced himself, and he told me that his wife had dementia. And I, and I, I noticed how she was behaving, that it, it seemed like that, that there, was, there was some issues. Well, we watched over several months how ambulances would come and, and he'd be gone for a few days and then he'd come back home and, you know, then we would see her outside and they'd be walking around and, you know, and of course he'd have to lead her and then he would sit her on the porch and, you know, and he would do things in the yard. Well, after a while, we noticed that, that he was gone for a long period of time. And one day he shows back up and he's just kind of going on about his business and he's by himself. Well, I found out, and it was several months after the fact, that his wife had passed away. And, of course, by then, I, I had noticed, and of course, you know, it's, it, it, it's in the coming and going. And, you know, of course, we get busy. And, but I, I think I could have paid a little bit better attention. I think I could have been a little bit more involved. Because there were times when I saw him out in the yard and I kind of felt the Lord tap me on the shoulder. Why don't you go out and talk to, to Clifford? And I was either eating breakfast or, you know, I, I was, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of something. I, I don't want to stop what I'm doing. And so here we are several months down the road and we just find out that, that he's, he's all alone. 
Our neighbors don't have to be strangers to us. But they often are. And wouldn't it be nice if we could seize the opportunity to see what God could accomplish through our relationship with our neighbors? It might be awkward. It's going to be awkward whenever we finally get to meet the ladies next door. But it's well worth the risk. And before I'm, I'm done, I want to just touch on this. There's this matter of dealing with strangers. You know, from the time that our children are, are very, very small, we teach them, don't talk to strangers. And that's with good reason, because our, our kids don't understand that when they meet somebody that they don't know, they, they, they have no idea of whether this person has, has good intentions or, or evil intentions toward them. And so we do that to protect our kids. Well, in many ways, those of us as adults... We interact with the world kind of like we're kids. We're not in the habit of conversing with strangers unless you're my mom. My mom got to know everybody up and down our street. It was amazing. She was telling me who all our neighbors were after just a few weeks in the neighborhood. Now, I'm not suggesting that we throw caution to the wind and that that we just talk to everybody because we, we, we need to exercise wisdom. You know, it, it, if, but what I am saying is that we can allow the Lord to lead us. He can show us, and, and in, in those interactions, He can use us to do wonderful things to make an impact in the lives of neighbors and strangers. In, Jesus said in John's Gospel, in John chapter 5, I'm telling you this straight, the Son can't independently do a thing. Only what he sees the Father doing. And what the Father does, the Son also does. The Father loves the Son and includes him in everything he is doing. This is something we talk about a lot in the vineyard. Doing what we see the Father doing. Now what, what, what does that look like? Well, we look for signs for what God is doing in the people around us, in, in the, the circumstances that we're in. And when Jesus was here on earth, he was limited in his humanity. I mean, yes, he was fully God and fully man, but he was limited in terms of he had to be dependent on the Holy Spirit each and every moment. And it's pretty much the same way that we are. But the difference with Jesus, his ears had been tuned, his eyes had been tuned to see what the Father was doing, to hear what he was saying, and was able to step out and do the amazing things that he did. And that's how it happened in the Gospels. Jesus went where he went, and he did what he did because the Father led him there. Everywhere he went. You know, there were, there were hundreds of people who were in need and needed healing, and Jesus would go to one. You know, whenever he went to the pool of Bethesda, there were hundreds of people lying around that pool hoping that whenever the the water would be troubled, that they could slip into the water and be healed. Because that was the legend, that they could do that. And he went there and healed one man. And that was because he saw what the Father was doing and the Father led him to do those things. And I think we can learn how to do the same thing. I think we can learn 
through the Holy Spirit to be sensitive and to allow Him to guide us and lead us to people who need His touch, His ministry. It's kind of like what they say in AA and NA. And I've never been in the program, but I was a counselor for, for a little while. But what they tell folks, and this is, this is something I've adopted for my life, God's will is what He puts right in front of you to do. It makes it real. What has God put right in front of you to do? What has God put in front of you? Well, Jesus on the night before He would go to the cross told His disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I don't think it's, it's being a little too loose with the Scriptures to say that God can use our love for strangers. God can use our love toward neighbors to prove to this world, even as, as exiles, even as people that, that might be outcast by our society because of our faith, that our love for the people we come in contact will prove that we're disciples of Jesus and will prove that everything about Him is real and true. Now, can we stand together this morning?